Our focus will be actually mostly on one verse, but I'll begin reading from verse 15 down to verse 21. You can find that on page 978 in the Pew Bibles. Actually, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and we want to give close attention to God's Word. I'll come back to it later in the message and examine it a little bit closer, but as you know, we're in our series on the Holy Spirit, and this is somewhat more of a topical message. Children, here are your questions for this evening. First, do all true Christians have the Holy Spirit present in their lives? Two, what are some things that show that the Holy Spirit is at work in us? Three, when the Holy Spirit is at work in the church, how will people act toward one another? And four, look up Galatians 5, 22 and 23 and talk to your parents about the fruit of the Spirit. Don't you love it when I give your parents homework? Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of God. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. For when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There ends a reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we thank you that 
through the power of your gospel and through the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives that in Christ we have come out of darkness and into light. And Lord, we pray that you would give us a further insight into your word as we seek to know more and more about what it means to live for you and what it means to have your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us, and now we pray that you would speak to us again, now through the preaching of your word. And so please send your spirit in a special way, helping the preacher and helping the hearer as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is often associated with tremendous power, and rightly so. If you think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, it's a ministry of power in many different ways. You begin with creation, the mighty work of creation, and then you work your way through the Old Testament. You see massive works of the Holy Spirit in the lives of nations and in the people of God in particular. In some cases, individuals are empowered with with superhuman feats of strength through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of prophecy is a spirit, is the spirit working through God's spokespeople. And so he, through his power, gives the power of prophecy. That's true in the Old Testament and in the New Testament through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Then we come to the New Testament and we see the power of the Holy Spirit. And in other ways, we see the power of the Holy Spirit in the incarnation of Christ. This is what, what Mary is told. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy One, the Son of God. Jesus, in his state of humility, was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. A voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then in the temptation, it's the Holy Spirit ministering to Jesus. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4 just to notice something very important. I want you to notice this because we're all tempted all the time by a variety of sins. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, who himself is without sin, but he's reliant upon the Holy Spirit to give him strength, and the power of the Holy Spirit to give him strength to endure his fasting and temptation in the wilderness. Just look at Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And then look at verse 14. After that time of testing and temptation in the desert, Jesus returned, this is verse 14, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. Jesus depended upon the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to, to preach with resolve, to perform miracles, to endure all kinds of suffering, even to go to the cross, was relying upon the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises the apostles that the Holy Spirit will come upon them with power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And so the apostles are giving boldness and they're performing wonders and miracles. Paul attributes the success or at least the perseverance of his ministry to the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says in Romans 15, by the power 
of signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul was empowered with the ministry of the Holy Spirit to do tremendous things. And then we read that Paul prays that the people of God would be empowered. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So we associate the power of God at work with the Holy Spirit. Certainly we can say that we've experienced the mighty work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing us from death to life. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ exerted in us. So we may expect the powerful exertion of the Holy Spirit in our lives in a way that's not necessarily in accord with God's design for his people in a regular way. And what do I mean? What can we expect the work of the Holy Spirit to look like ordinarily in the ordinary lives of ordinary Christians like us? What does it look like? Does it look like tremendous signs and wonders? Does it look like extraordinary phenomena? Does it look like, does it look like ecstasy? I don't believe scripture teaches us that we're to expect phenomenal manifestations of the Holy Spirit as we saw with the disciples or ecstasies like I think are projected onto scripture. We might be a little disappointed if we expect sort of an electrical surge of spirituality that's taught by some circles. Some will teach that there are Christians, yes, but there are spirit-filled Christians who are especially endowed with gifts and things like speaking in tongues and performing miracles. I'm not here to poke holes in that. But I think what we really need to look at is how the Holy Spirit of power manifests himself in our regular lives. We are all, if we're in Christ's spirit, filled Christians. There's no such thing as a true Christian who is not a spirit-filled Christian. I know I've mentioned this verse a number of times. Paul says this, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So what do spiritual, do spirit-filled people look like? What do we look like? What is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in us? Well, certainly we can go to Galatians and see the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Paul gives us a little bit of a different perspective, and he does so by a contrast that's quite interesting. We'll get to that in a moment, but if we go back further in Ephesians, Paul gives the people of God the assurance that they already have the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 1, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it 
to the praise of his glory. But then in our passage, we're given an interesting contrast and we're giving a, a definite command, be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're given first a contrast. Paul actually commands to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He commands all believers, readers of Ephesians, which was a circular letter, but all Christians throughout the ages, this command to be filled. It's a plural, all y'all or yous or you all, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Undergo this continual filling even though you're filled. It's in the present. It's this continual, perpetual filling. It's this passive reception that is also a pursuit of being filled by the Holy Spirit. But he gives this contrast that may seem rather odd to us. He starts by saying, do not be drunk on wine. And that in itself is a fair enough exhortation. I couldn't help but think of Proverbs, if you want to turn back there, if you need a warning on what drunkenness can reward us with. If you jump back to Proverbs chapter 23, beginning in verse 29. So this is a warning in and of itself. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. And so there's a clear warning against drunkenness in Scripture. And Paul latches onto that in a way, but he's really contrasting the difference between being drunk on wine and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are similarities in this, and I can really only think of two. Being drunk, you are under the influence of something outside of yourself, that has come inside of yourself, filled. And so there is that under the influence being filled with wine. But if we think about the contrast, there are radical different results. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was actually a physician, points out that while we might think alcohol is a stimulant, it's actually technically a depressant. So he contrasts this depressant of alcohol with a stimulant of the Holy Spirit that stirs us up. But think of some other things. When, when someone's drunk, they tend to become uninhibited, say things that they shouldn't say, do things that they shouldn't do. But when someone's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they're sober-minded, concerned with their actions, concerned with their words. Drunkenness will involve a one-time high with a hangover, and they'll have to go back and drink again. At the end of that proverb is striking, I must have another drink. After all he went through, I must have another drink. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is a regular filling that brings satisfaction on a regular basis. Again, drunkenness is chaos. The work of the Spirit is order. Drunkenness can bring temporary giddiness or it can bring anger. 
I know people, some who are happy drunks. They're miserable when they're sober, but they're happy when they're drunk. And then there are others who are, who are, who are happy when they're sober, but then become extremely miserable when they're drunk. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy, is joy. True joy, lasting joy. The bottom line is nothing good comes out of drunkenness, but good comes out of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The fact of the matter is, what Paul is really doing here is he's, he's contrasting what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit to what it means to still be in the flesh. Living under the influence of worldly control versus the influence of the Holy Spirit. Basically saying, if anything else is controlling your life other than the Holy Spirit, be done with it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this drunkenness represents all that is against God and against his ways. And so instead of being self-indulgent and worldly, we're to be filled with the Spirit and pursuing godliness. And again, he says, be filled. Continually be filled. You have the Holy Spirit. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but continually seek the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. This might sound way too cliche, way too simple, but I'm always struck by sometimes how simple true Christianity can be. In order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it requires two very important fundamentals of the Christian faith, and that is prayer and the Word of God. And they always work together. One thing about prayer, turn to, if you want to, Luke chapter 11. Jesus, speaking to the disciples, says something very interesting to them. Verse, beginning in verse 9. And we might be expecting a different result to the way Jesus says prayer will be answered. He's just taught them the Lord's Prayer. Now pick up in verse 9. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 9. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, listen, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It seems to me that believers need to ask for the continual filling of the Holy Spirit, even as we might ask for bread or provision. And so part of our seeking to be regularly filled with the Holy Spirit is going to be through prayer and through the Word of God, pervading our lives and together guiding and assisting us. Simply take the issue of dealing with temptation and remember Jesus in the wilderness. We need the Holy Spirit to resist temptation, to flee temptation, to resist the devil. And so we are indwelt, but we need to be intentional about pursuing the Holy Spirit. Well, this, the results are surprising. Maybe a little disappointing if we're looking for some extraordinary, phenomenal things 
to happen in our lives if we're looking for some ecstasy, some, some deeply, highly profound experience. I'm not saying that we don't have those wonderful mountaintops experiences. We do, I trust. But the work of the Holy Spirit in an ordinary sense is surprisingly ordinary. And yet, nonetheless, we're dependent upon it. What is the evidence in our lives that the Holy Spirit is really at work? Again, we can look at the fruit. Think of the fruit of the Spirit and think about your life. Do you have love, joy, peace, patience, etc. in your life? But back here in our passage, in the context of what Paul is saying, it has to do with the life transformed. If you look at the context and if you, for a moment, see this passage, this verse about being filled with the Holy Spirit as a pivotal verse, which I'm not going to argue that it's a pivotal verse in Ephesians, but in our context, think about what went before. Delivered from our sin, delivered from ways of wickedness, delivered from worldliness, delivered from all these things. That's the context that comes before, that has to do with being indwelt with the Holy Spirit of Christ. What follows? This is almost painfully practical. Look at what follows. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters. Earthly masters, treat your servants right. Very practical work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, instilling in us, creating in us holiness. Towards God and towards each other. If I were to try to summarize, at least in my small mind, what the work of the Holy Spirit really looks like, he is instilling us a greater love toward God and a greater desire for us to pursue his will and a greater ability, a greater capacity to truly love one another. Surprisingly ordinary? Maybe. Still extraordinary considering considering who we are. If we were to go back through the passage, we can see the things that being filled with the Holy Spirit deliver us from. The things that Paul says that we're to have nothing to do with, sexual immorality, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, all those kinds of things that are the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, all those things increasingly cast away through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But instead, the pursuit, the pursuit of things like thankfulness, that's one of the things here. Things that please God, things that honor Him, Those are the kinds of things that we can expect when the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Those are the kinds of things that we want to be at work in us so we pursue the filling of the Holy Spirit.
That will be evidenced in the church. Do you notice what he says? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You want to see a spirit-filled church? You're not going to see people flailing around in the aisles. You're not going to hear strange sounds. You're going to see love. That's what you're going to see in a spirit-filled church. That's the evidence. Not chaos and confusion, not emotional outbursts, but genuine, God-glorifying, saint-edifying, Sinner-loving love. Going to see Christ. We don't see him physically. But Christ will manifest himself in a church that is filled with the Spirit. Remember, remember this, we began with this, that the Holy Spirit does not intentionally draw attention to himself, but points us to Christ and draws us near to God. That's what we'll see in his church. And so the Holy Spirit is at work right here in our midst in ordinary folks like us. May we see the work of the Spirit clearly in our lives, in the church. We'd see Christ more clearly, more love, more pursuit of the things of God, bolder witness to the living Christ. So tonight I might not have energized you or pumped you up. But I hope you've been further assured that you have the Holy Spirit and that you are further inspired to pursue the Holy Spirit's work in your life, the continued work of the Holy Spirit in your life. May God grant us that grace, even as we pray together. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we do pray. Because it's commanded in your word that we would be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that you have given us life. Without your spirit, we wouldn't even have life. But Lord, you've given us your spirit that we might live for you. And so even as we pray that you would work in us what's pleasing in your sight, we pray that we would keep in step with the Spirit. And that as we immerse ourselves in your word, that the Holy Spirit would take that word and burn it into our hearts. And that we would willingly submit our wills to your will. We pray that the result would be a deeper and greater love for you greater desire to walk in your ways, a more profound love for one another, and a deep desire to see those who are without your spirit, without Christ, to know you. So do, we pray, work in us what's pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.